Welcome to another episode of BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. On this show, I talk to a wide range of people pursuing their creative and intellectual passions and get them to talk about their craft and also their views on today's climate and things going on in the world. And for this episode, I'm going to play you a conversation I did with a writer and poet, Rania Watts. Rania is the founder of CCIQ Press. And CCIQ Press, I'm reading from the website, is the brainchild of Rania M. Watts, which focuses on the premise of the verity of humanity through various art mediums that encompass dance, poetry, video installation, paint, sculpture, carve, knit, squat, stitch, quill, essentially an inside-out, upside-down perspective on anything that falls under the umbrella of art, artistic impression, humanity, perilous tales, and philosophy. And a lot of Rania's work deals with mental health and using poetry and writing as a way to cope with mental health issues. And I won't spoil too much more. Here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. So why don't you uh, just tell us a bit about yourself and how you, I guess, sort of your journey and how you ended up becoming a writer and what you write about, too. Um, when I was 14 years old, I suffered from a very bad depression and actually, um, tried killing myself and, um, poetry was the anchor that I needed to save me with writing, writing affords a human being the imagination to be able to express themselves regardless of what situation they're in, who is around them it completely vanishes everything. And that's basically what writing did for me. I've, I've been writing nonstop since I was 13 years old. And being able to write and being able to express myself not only frees me of all of the trauma and negative pain, but it also gets rid of all the dark stuff. So you could start focusing on fun things like fantastical creatures and their origin stories and that's like I went from writing about emotions to writing about creatures to writing about advocacy like there's nothing that poetry can leave untouched and um with with my writing I just I try and be mindful that these are words and letters and syntax and I know it sounds I don't know if it sounds stupid or crazy but there's there's a certain level in my writing where you have to respect the words and you have to respect the letters because when they're placed together in chains, it can be something as small as a haiku or the infinity of a Tolstoy novel, which I've yet to get through. Um, And writing, I don't know, writing makes me feel like a better human being because I can set the course for what I want to express and express it. And Hopefully, if it moves somebody along the way, then they might feel inspired by it, and then they can go and create something else. So, what, what was that you were saying about words and the let you were saying like the length of the word? Yeah, of, like the words. Okay, I always say my 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 tagline on on CCIQ Press is we lead we lead letters and syntax. So I always say that if you cut me, 
a bunch of letters and syntax are going are gonna to come out. And to be able to, to show the grace and the appreciation of the words and to connect them together, whether it's through poetry or through writing a larger story, I think that, that it starts being connected, being connected to the words and, and to the alphabet. And to acknowledge that these 26 letters could create such epic pieces. And it's just, it's very humbling when you look at it because it's almost as though it's bigger than me. And I'm, I'm this little cog in this massive wheel trying to put out all of this positive energy through the writing. And that's, that's just how I feel. I feel that they're all, that they're all interconnected with each other in the manner that humans are enmeshed with each other. There's like a, a, a synergy. Yeah. Like the way the words connect is the way like the humans connect. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or even, or even um, breaking down the words. Like I wrote one poem a while ago and the word that I used at the top um, to start the poem was underestimated. And I actually wrote the word estimated, drew a line and put under below it. So even, even playing with the words in that capacity allows, allows for an imagination to flourish and just not remain stagnant. And those connections and those links together contributes to a bigger picture, a bigger, a bigger body of work. You were born in uh, Lebanon or, or you're born in the, yes. So did yeah. you, was your first language uh, Arabic or was it Lebanese? Or, or, or... Actually, my first language was French. Because, okay. Um, I was born in Lebanon and my parents immigrated to Canada when I was two and a half. Um, basically what happened is we went from uh, Lebanon to Syria to Paris. We were in Paris for six months and then moved to Montreal. So Montreal, the main language, Montreal is, is a dual speaking, a dual speaking um, city where there is French and English, um, but I was put in a French school. So French was my first language, then Arabic followed, and then English followed at around maybe seven or eight years old. So learning English at eight years old, it was, it was such a cluster beep because when you're looking at French, there's a feminine and a masculine, and it's broken down into conjugation, conjugation, mad. And I felt, I felt that it was actually easier because I went through the trials and tribulations of learning French first, that it was easier to learn English after. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I wanted to ask about, like how poetry, like how you found express yourself in words compares in English to other languages. Do you find English easier to express yourself in? Like, this, mm. or, or is it more limited than other languages or less? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I've had my work translated in Spanish and I think it's beautiful. But for me, because it's my, my base is, is French and Arabic. I go back and when I write, when I write things in French, although my French right now is broken, very broken. Um, I have people who are very strong French speakers who edit the work and I don't know. I like, I like writing. I wrote this one poem and it was um, about a woman who was in Paris and she was buying a book and she was using broken English and the person that was helping her or broken French. And the person who was helping her was speaking French. So they were, it, the whole dialogue is about buying a book and buying sunscreen. And, and I, and um, just a, a trip in Paris. And um, 
I liked exploring the, the, the dialogue between English and French because it gave me a chance to go back to my French roots, which I don't do very often. And I just, you know, it's one of those things where you, you have for such a long period of time and then you lose focus and you don't speak of it or see it. And that's what happened with me in French and Arabic. I, I could manage to get my way through a conversation, but that is about it. So in, in that regard, I will gravitate more to English, but sometimes I will also write my poems in English, put them through a translator in Arabic and work through it that way to see, to see how it would look and how it would sound. But I guess that, then that's, uh, you've been able to appreciate writers that write in different languages then. So that's kind of widened Absolutely. Your Absolutely. Anybody, for me, it's, it's, it's any language in any medium. If you're willing to express yourself and take a chance on another culture and be more aware of what that culture offers. Like I've written, I've written a lot of poems about um, samurai swords and poems about like Hawaii and Switzerland and Austria. I don't, I don't stop because I find um, culture and exploring culture to be very fascinating. And I've intertwined elements of those within my poems. Yeah, so, so it's kind of, um, and like like you said, like you like it's the language that kind of connects. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you also like poetry and mental like mental health is like a big thing for you. And you also oh. you, you worked as a social worker or social uh, social service worker. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have um, my social service worker diploma, uh, my victimology diploma, which I received last year, and I'm currently in the um, uh, honors. Honors Bachelor Behavioral Sciences program, which I kind of thought was funny because your show is BSing. <laughs> and my degree is an H, my degree that I'm working towards is an HBBS. So I thought that that link to be to be comical. Um, so uh, because of the mental health issues that I struggled with, I wanted to be a voice for others to say, it's okay. And you struggle, you'll survive. You just have to survive as long as you possibly can now to be able to appreciate the love and life that's going to be offered to you once you come out of whatever you're in. With Cockroach Blueprint, for example, there was an anthology that was created based on that book, which is called Roach Print Anthology. And the purpose of that was to raise awareness and to raise funds for mental health initiatives across Ontario. Um, Being able to be an advocate for mental health is so important to me because I want people to understand that regardless of what they're struggling with now, now is not forever. And suicide has been something that I'm obsessed with to the point that I want to eradicate it off the planet. And I realize that that sounds like a rose colored glasses, idealistic type of response and reply to something that is such a severe issue. But if you don't have the hope and you don't have the fight, what else do you have? Like there, there has to be, there has to be a way for, for people to, to find a way to survive so that their life improves and their life gets better. Because if someone is going to take their life and end their life, they miss out on so much and so many things that could have happened, but never happened because they were scared and they wanted an immediate, immediate resolution. And um, 
So being able, being able to write and have my writing shared in regards to the mental health faculty is very important to me. There was, um, I wrote a poem called Laceration and Laceration was about cutting. Um, that poem was then uh, published with uh, Nissa. Uh, they do uh, Healthy Minds Quarterly. And basically what they did is they took the poem Laceration with other poems from different writers and they put it in a uh, secondary school, post-secondary education uh, class format to be able to teach students about writing and the impact of mental health on writing. I was, I was incredibly proud to be part of that because it's something that I, that I firmly believe in. And, you know, if you're going to be born with a big fat mouth, you should be able to use it. And um, I've, I've used it to my advantage in advocating for mental health issues. Yeah. And, and if you have a, like a, a chemical imbalance, I think no matter how good your life is going, your brain is kind of wired to see it. Yeah. And that's, and that's the part that bothers me the most is because every living single person on this planet has the capacity for beauty and every single person on this planet has the capacity for growth. I want to just help heal it. I noticed you were doing that a bit with the, the cockroach thing, like different ways to getting the anger out too. You, you had oh, yeah. it was different ways you'd torture and kill the cockroach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is I am not, I'm not a torture minded person. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of my way to harm another human being. But when you change the game and you put it all on paper, it's a completely different ball of wax because you're able to express yourself and just release it. And I think that that's something that, that a lot of people struggle with that I've struggled with so much is just releasing the negative energy, completely letting it go and striving to just be who you are, who you're, you're meant to be freaky flaws and all. Yeah. And you know, that kind of made me think like how people view like metal and like a negative light, like metal is like angry, like negative music, but I think it kind of takes that energy and puts it in a positive way. You know, like, I don't think to, to just be like all new to aging and be like, I'm just going to be positive all the time and only have a good vibe and use crystal. Oh, that's impossible. Yeah. It's like just not being human, you know, it's like. Yeah. No, it's, it's personifying something that people think what it means to be human, but it's not because like people can be all lovey-dovey, but the reality is that there's enough bloodshed on this earth to probably coat our globe three, four five times over. And that's like the reality has to set in that there is beauty and that there is ugly. You can't, you can't take the ugly and say, oh, I'm not going to look at it anymore. Because in order to have a synchronicity in life, I believe that the, the, the ugly and the pretty have to be working together because you can't appreciate the bad unless you have the good, yeah. like the, a, the, a bad situation, unless there's a silver lining that comes out of it. And just, I find that with, with every bad or a good situation, the opposite happens. Like in a good situation, something bad happens and in a bad situation, something good happens. Yeah. And also like, you can't just look, if you just look away from what's wrong in the world, only focus on the good news. Like I, I see that a lot. I know I'm going back to the new age community a lot, but they, they focus a lot on um, like 
oh, let's only look at the good news in the world, the good news. But it's like, mm-hmm. if you only focus on that, like, what about the people suffering or going through, like, you're just looking away from that. Then that's not mm-hmm. really, how does your spirituality or your, how does that help anybody? If you're just, oh, I'm only going to look at the positive. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it basically, what it basically does is it puts your heart in a cage. Yeah. To only see unicorns and rainbows and love and sunshine. And as much as I love all those things, I feel that there is an element of darkness that's required to be able to appreciate the light. What did they say on Lucifer? I was obsessed with Lucifer. Um, The new season, season six, season five. Oh, you should. It's so good. Um, When, when the God character come down, he said the, the, the darker, the dark, the brighter, the light. And that's that's the whole the whole philosophy with yin and yang and 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 balance. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Like the east and the eastern, like Taoism, like the light. Yeah. yeah, you cannot have one without the other. And to to basically slice one part of yourself off, you might as well be slicing off your right arm and your left leg, because that's exactly what's happening when the focus is completely saturated on good and evil, exclusively, yeah. not together. And I know I know you're a, a big Star Wars fan. They had they have a bit of that in Star Wars with like the in in the Clone Wars they had an episode where there was one who was like the the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. And then when one died, it all went out of balance. Oh, you, now you got the baby Yoda for people who can't see. You got Grogu. I got four of them. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm obsessed. But that's like that's that's the thing. I um I used to always call my mentor before he died Yoda. because he was like brilliant he when I would come come to Nick with a problem he would say to me well what do you think you should do or have you tried this and it was it was really horrible when he died because I have never I have never been able to find a teacher like him until recently and it was it was a really it was a really long struggle because Whenever I had an issue, I could easily call Nick and talk to him. And he's now almost been gone for 20 years. And it's just, it's, it was very difficult going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that the, the level of pain and no more talks. And like we would talk, our conversations would go from like Old Testament to Beverly Hills 90210, which I don't know how anyone could ever find mm-hmm. relatable to each other, but those those are how our conversations went there was a lot of um there was a lot of diversity and and i really appreciated that because his input helped me to formulate who i am today and the kind of person that i want to be yeah i think that's uh we all kind of need like a like mentors or like people who can kind of help us to to be that for someone else too is rewarding as well the and you were talking about depression. I, I know, like, I feel like when I, like, I, I'm, I'm prone to depression as well. I don't, I, I wouldn't say I have like a super severe case of it as well, but like um, my brain is uh, wired toward that. And um, I just, I just think, I think that focusing on others has helped me. Like when I do an interview, like it helps me like bringing someone else out and I kind of get off of like myself and my own like ruminations and stuff. So That's actually what I do when I'm mad. When I'm angry, I do something nice for someone else. Because if I can't get out of my own head, then I end up spiraling. But if you're doing something nice for someone else, it completely gets you out of your own head and you're able, you're able to impact people more 
I think, I think that's a brilliant idea, Sean. Brilliant. And I guess that's why you got into being a social worker too, is like to help people. A social service worker? Yeah. I always knew that I wanted to help people. When I was 14 years old, I was doing guided meditations on people without even knowing what it was. So there was a very strong calling in me to be able to advocate and help others. And I don't know if it comes from my lineage, but my lineage does play a large role because on my mother's side, we were the um, temple keepers and temple builders directly descended from the Levi tribe. And um, I don't know, like to, to, to think of what my ancestors had to build and had to do and the enormous weight of being the temple keeper and temple builder, I feel that weight on me however many generations because it's such a profound calling that all I want to do is help. And that help has manifested within poetry, music, and advocacy. Um, And being a social service worker was one of the best things I could have done for myself, except um, my, my second year working as a social service worker, I had extreme compassion fatigue. Um, which started in my second year at, at Centennial, where um, I was doing my second year placement at the, um, the Toronto People with AIDS Foundation. And um, my partner died right before the start of the second semester. And it was completely devastating. From that moment <clears throat> to two years after, I felt completely burnt out because in this field, there is an expectation that you take care of everyone else, but you don't take care of yourself, which is what it was like back then. Um, and things have, have dramatically twisted because last year when I took victimology, there was one course specifically devoted to self-care and I was completely stunned because I didn't think that, that it mattered. And 20 years later, I can't believe how much taking that class meant for not only me as a social service worker, but me as a future clinician working with all my clients to have that awareness that, okay, I'm done counseling. I need to take care of myself, which is, which is something that I never did. And people don't realize, like, it's very difficult to be the keeper of other other people's secrets but there's also a tremendous humility that it's afforded because you're able to see people on their good and their bad days and appreciate that to me that's what it meant to be an ssw there we go um i just feel that i was put here i was put here to help people you know like there's there's a larger calling one time um Luke and I, Luke Young. Oh yeah, he's been on the. I know. (laughs) Um, Hi, Luke. Um, (laughs) Luke and I were having a conversation, and we were talking about my interviews and how I want to be a voice for the voiceless, and that transfers right back to my social service worker days and to everything that I'm trying to do now for for future employment with all the education that I'm currently enduring when keeping their secrets also like 
being someone they can trust to like is what you like yeah it's it's um you know sometimes there are things that you just don't want to know but you have to know because you're helping the person so everything just gets locked up deep 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 down and i let it go in my writing because that's the only way that i can actually free myself from any of the shackles that i'm experiencing if i'm helping someone because like when you're when you're like listening to someone's story really listening to someone's story and really present it's very emotive and it just it's not something that that i want to take for granted which is why now I've learned that the best way to deal with it is to self-care so that you're ready for your client the next time they come in and the next time they're struggling and you're able to empower them and help them. Yeah, and I think that's hard to do is listen to somebody without, you know, kind of just in, injecting like your own experience or your own like, oh yeah, I've done that too. But because it's, it's more helpful to just fully listen and kind of leave yourself out of it and empathize with what the person is saying. No, you've been doing it for the last half hour. You've been listening. I guess so. You'd be good in this field because a lot of people don't realize that it's just an ear that people want. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because that was something I was thinking about doing for a while in my twenties. Like I I was. Oh, really? uh, Yeah. Well, I switched around like a lot what I want. Like originally I was like music recording and then I didn't really like, like the production side of the music stuff I, I was doing that's why I was doing like the I was doing like a grindcore band and stuff like I was and I just kind of what, what I really wanted to do with that band is just like play Maryland Death Fest and like play around like different <laughs> small clubs like I didn't really know if I, I, I didn't really want to be like in the music business but like I was studying like oh like that's like that's a way I can kind of be around music and stuff but I didn't really like like the whole because it was just focused on the technical aspect of that. And I didn't really mm-hmm. find that interesting. So then for a while I switched, like, okay, maybe I want to do social, like help people like, and have that be like what I do. And actually that's what my, my mother does. Like she's an actress and a singer, but like her main thing is she's a social worker at a hospital. Really? Like, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I, I guess for a while that was something I, I wanted to do but then I kind of I guess I found more like the film production is like what I gra- gravitate toward and like what I'm doing with the podcast so that kind of thing is more what I went towards but for a while that was something I thought about and I like reading like psychology books and stuff like uh, Carl Jung and like other things like that but I don't know. I've been avoid I've been obsessed with Freud lately oh yeah I've only read the uh the the, the one where he talked about dreams Oh, the dream analysis one. Yeah. There was actually, um, Kindle has, I love it, $0 books for all the old classics. I was able to get Freud, Nietzsche, uh, Aristotle, Socrates for nothing. So if you like that content, you should check it out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I already have, uh, like, the the thus spoke, uh, I already have, like, a couple, like, a lot of the most of the Nietzsche stuff, like I, I like the thus spoke Zarathustra, kind of like about being a creator and like just like kind of um, being the highest version of yourself is how I mm-hmm. see it. Yeah, yeah it's mm. interesting. I don't know why some like fascists latched on to that because for me it's more about just kind of like freeing yourself as like a individual. I don't really see it as like ruling over other people, but I guess like that was because his sister twisted his words and stuff was like the main thing. But. I love that highest version of yourself. That's going to yeah. be a poem. You know that, right? Oh, really? 
I just, I just inspired. Oh, that you're actually writing that down to be in a poem. Right. Yep. See. Nice. Yeah, it's I think true, that's what it meant with like the the Ubermensch kind of thing. Was that kind of like something you could we could all aspire to? Kind of. Yeah. No, but people don't want to because they think that it will take too much work. But what they don't understand is if you're pouring all of that work into yourself, it'll trickle down. It'll trickle down to your family. It'll trickle down to your friends. And it it gets spread all over. And like that, that type of energy and the synergy, it's incredible what it can do, how, how it can how it can make something bloom that's in probably the most worst terrain possible. But that's the thing. You just, you find a way to adapt and you find a way to grow. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like that whole, like put your own oxygen mask on before you help others. Yeah. 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 That or lesson like, took a long time to learn. Yeah. And also loving yourself before you can like fully love, like you have to care about yourself and like appreciate who you are before you can really, and then like, yeah, because I guess that's why like people who cr- are critical of others all the time usually don't think high of themselves. So. No, it's sad because if, if the people who are critical with themselves, if they could take a step back and take a look at what they were actually doing to other people, maybe the impact would be different. Again, my d- idealistic lens coming out. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I guess like we, we should strive towards like ideals, like because if we just like cynicism, I mean, it's good to have like a bit of realism, too. But if oh, it's yeah. just cynicism by itself, like then how are we, how do you prove anything? You know, there has to be like some kind of idealism to mm-hmm. make it you, some kind of progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you don't. It's just one big cluster bleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you hope to um, I guess that's what you, you hope to kind of, I guess, make a difference with other. Does it like do you ever get like feedback from people who read your stuff? Like, Oh, this helped me or. Yeah. One person read cockroach blueprint and came back to me and said that the cockroach could be transferred into the word cancer. And um, it could be used as a visual aid for, for humans who are, who are suffering with cancer to, to take that word and come up with various creative ways to kill it. Yeah. Like something you have no control over kind of find a way to have control. Yeah. Putting. Putting something ridiculous into the mix always helps because that level of ridiculous reinforces what should actually be happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. And that's interesting that you said that it like it because you you said that the poetry was more for yourself and then the helping the the Mm -hmm. social work was for other people. But you also Mm kind of help people through helping yourself with the writing too. Mm -hmm. Well, um, a lot of my a lot of my poetry is advocacy based. I mean, there, there are a lot of pieces about self-esteem and self-awareness and, and depression, but a lot of it also focuses on um, advocacy and, and fighting for the rights of others. It's just, it's important. I, I can't, I can't imagine being a human being and living in this world and watching another person suffer by the hands of someone else and not speaking up or not saying, why is this happening right now? how can we help it to stop? And, and that's the part that I'm interested in. I'm interested in the why and how can we help it to stop? Because there has to be a way. And like, I know I keep going back to the whole idealist thing, but like there is reality 
in my mind and I am aware of the reality and the ugly truths that are happening all over our globe. However, there has to be some light and everyone keeps ignoring the damn light. And I'm just frustrated by it because nobody wants to show. It's like when you're showing love, you're showing weakness. I don't understand. Like, if you take a look at every single comic book ever created, the one premise that they always go back to is, is your love is your power. You know what I mean? Like the light that's, that's fused inside of you will emit and illuminate the entire world. I just like, I, I want to be able to harness that light and put it in something and send it out into the world and have other people be able to harness it as well. Yeah. And then the only thing that was, now I'm thinking of Star Wars, the only thing that was keeping Anakin human was his love for Padme. And then when she, when she dies, I know that's yep. a spoiler, but I figure most people have seen. Oh, that's, that's okay. Spoiler. Yeah, that's right. Padme's long gone dead. Bye-bye yeah. in the second yeah. set of the movies. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, and then once that's to. gone, he's just Darth Vader. It's just all dark, yeah. Yeah, and then it took it took Luke to bring that love back. Exactly. Like, and, and that's the thing. The love in the foundation was always there, and he was being manipulated by the Sith Lord. And it just... And then he couldn't he defeat the Sith him. Lord. He couldn't defeat the Sith Lord without the, the love of Luke. So Exactly. Yeah. But it's just like, he could have... That's interesting that you said that, because... What movie was it where where Anakin told the Jedi Council that he knows who the Sith Lord is and that it was Palpatine and blah 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 blah? Which one was I, that? I think it was. was uh, I think it was Revenge of the Sith. But... Revenge of the. Okay. Yeah. Remember when he has Palpatine in the corner? He could have easily taken Palpatine and tossed him over, but he didn't. Like that to me, you had the opportunity to kill him earlier, but you didn't. So he ends up dying. How many movies later? He didn't really die later. He died before. It's just, it's weird the way they, they yeah, did all they the made movies. it before, but it happened later. It was supposed yeah. to be like 20 years. It was made 20 years late, earlier, but it was supposed to be 20 years later. It's but. crazy the way they did that. Oh my God. I was. Yeah. Well, because the Jedi didn't show him any love. So he didn't find a reason to de uh, defend uh, Mace Windu because the Palpatine was acting like he cared about him. But Mace Windu. Yeah, exactly. Was like, yeah. What was the name of you and McGregor? Uh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Obi was a total, he could have been a better mentor to Anakin. You know what I mean? Like they were always second guessing him. And how is someone supposed to grow when they're constantly being second guessed with a big poopy boot stuck to their neck? Sorry, I'm trying yeah. not to swear. Yeah. And then, uh, th then he tried to, he tried to be more, I guess he tried to be more, um, like, uh, less like that with Ashoka when he trained her. Like that was over. Wait, when is that from? Oh no, because in the Clone Wars, he has Anakin as someone he trains. The Clone Wars is in the car cartoon. Yeah. I never saw that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like in between the, the tell me, attack, tell me. Of, attack of the clones and the in Revenge of the Sith. Is that on like, Disney he Plus? He has like someone he trains. Yeah. I'm what? gonna go watch it. I never saw the comic because I didn't or the cartoon. Because I just, I, I don't know. At the time, I, I saw it and I'm like, that's nice. I wasn't in the mood. I was working on something else. <laughs> so in, um, in the Attack of the Clones. Well, she's actually in the Mandalorian. She's the one, you remember the one with the, like the, the Rosario Dawson. Rosario. She, ah, 
She was the one who told Grogu what his name was in the forest. Yeah, yeah she's the she's the one that's trained by the Anakin trains in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So. Oh, yeah. so they At are in the new them canon because I know they had the old canon and now there's the new canon. But, yeah. It's so weird how many how many iterations there are of Star Wars now. I remember yeah. as a kid, it was uh, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, and that was it. And when they came out with episode one and Jar Jar, everybody lost their minds because they're like, how can you be kicked out of a community for being clumsy? It's like, well, <laughs> that's just what happened. There's no, there's no justification or anything. It's just, it is. And people were like freaking out about that and finding Jar Jar annoying, which is why he wasn't in a lot of the, the later movies, like just yeah. bits and pieces but then he brought him. They brought him back in the Clone Wars, and they kind of redeemed him in that, and like made him funny and stuff. They had the same actor and everything. So. See, I love Jar Jar. Jar Jar was my favorite because he added that extra bit of comic relief. Because Sam Neeson, Sam Neeson, and uh, I think you that was the guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy who uh, I forget Wait, what his name was. No, I'm wrong. I'm I'm okay. Liam Neeson. Oh my yeah. god, Sam Neeson was the guy who played Merlin in Merlin. Um, Liam Neeson and um, Ewan McGregor's character they, they almost seemed like they were trying to keep Anakin in the dark and not fully training him and fighting to train him so when he was finally trained I just like I feel that Anakin had that little bit of um, annoyance that he had to fight so hard because like even when going back and seeing Padme he was like oh she'll never see me as anything other than a child well because they basically treated him like a child from the beginning to the end of it, which I found kind of frustrating. Yeah, like they never trust that make his uh, decision. No, they didn't. And he came to them and he said, I know who the Sith Lord is. And they were like, okay, well, we'll take care of it. You don't have to do anything. It's just like, he came to you with that and you basically brushed him off. Yeah. Clearing the path for Darth Vader to come to, come to fruition. Yeah. Exactly, and it's it's interesting. We can uh, when you mentioned uh, Jar Jar because the actor who played Jar Jar, he got a lot of abuse for that, and uh, that kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier because he attempted suicide after the after the he first did movie. yeah oh my god I didn't know that yeah and I know also the actor who played young Anakin had a lot of mental health issues and like I, well I not actually I think he has schizophrenia but like that that would be like a natural oh, thing that would be because I wouldn't um, wish that on my greatest enemy any mental uh, no that's awful yeah but now like I, I think the actor who played Jar Jar feels a little bit better because now he's brought back with the Clone Wars and now people are appreciating the prequels a little more so he's not getting like hate like he used to but it was frustrating because I I genuinely like Jar Jar like he's such a fun loving I want to help but I'm clumsy type character and it's just you know it's like you're it's like dopey Jar Jar is dopey from from the seven dwarves has that, you know, um, kind of feel to him where he's typically indifferent in regards to his character and he wants to help so badly. And that's, I think, what makes Jar Jar so endearing as a character and not a character that people should be looking at and going, why the hell are you in this movie? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very sweet. There's, there's a sweet, soft side to him. That I that I genuinely appreciated. I had no idea that he and the and the actor who played young Anakin were 
were suffering with mental with mental health issues. That's horrible. Yeah. And that and that's interesting because like you talk about we, like a lot of people like, you know, like art on some level is for yourself, but it's also to connect with others. So like that he put he put a lot into that character, Jar Jar, and then to get that kind of abuse, like I guess that that pushed him to the point like he wanted to kill himself, like he was going to jump off a bridge. But then he ended yeah. up like having kids and a family and stuff after that. But it's amazing how much children can change your perspective. Like, yeah. I mean, my kids, I'm constantly my kids are uh, 17, 15 and 11, and I'm constantly mindful to be aware of their ages so that I know what they I remember what I went through at that age and to just to, to think about them and, and how they're doing with their development through each, each of the stages, because that's to me, one of the ways that I think that parenting is essential to be able to, to empathize with your children, to see them at different stages and, and to not forget as a parent, your inner child, because as a parent, when you forget your inner child, you do more damage to your child than anything else because you're not letting them see the real you who made them. Yeah. So, so, so you mean if, if you just try to be the adult, then you're not connecting with them if you're just exactly. the, the adult. Exactly. If you try and be the yeah. adult and try and be the parent all the time, the, the level of connection will, will slowly start to diminish because nobody's going to want to be around a parent who, for a lack of a better word, is a ball buster and abusive or mean, you know, they're, they're going to want to be around parents who are kind and compassionate and who are parents struggle. There's nothing wrong with struggling. The only thing is don't take out whatever you're struggling with on your kids because they have their own life and they don't need the weight <laughs> of our trauma dumped onto to whatever they have to experience throughout their life. Yeah, I, I noticed that, yeah, uh, uh, being a parent does seem to change people. And also, like, uh, um, as far as, like, our artistic or creative people I know that have kids, like, it doesn't seem to stop that. It seems to, it seems like they almost get more focused with that. You do. More, it gets yeah. amplified. Everything, all the sensations, all the emotions, they get completely amplified, especially when you, like, for me now, I can't draw <laughs> at <laughs> all. But my husband, my husband was able to draw when he was younger. And my daughter, looking at how she can draw and how, how talented she is, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. I've never been able to draw like that. But then like, think about that, that um, position for a second. I've never been able to draw like that. I'm so jealous, which was going through my head, turned into, oh, my God, there's an artist in the family. I can get whatever I want drawn and put up on my wall. So it's just like that, that whole shift in perspective why be jealous? Why be angry? And like, especially when it's your own kid, just help them flourish more than anything else and, and take that and just make it better for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and did you, is, has it been like in your family, like a lot of artists, like, like, uh, um, one or two, uh, uh, I don't really know if there are any poets. I think I'm, I'm the only one. Um, I'm the only one who who's a writer, but in terms of art, there's like one or two people in my family who are, but. Because yeah, I, I, I always wondered if it's like, a, if it's genetic at all, because like I, on my dad's side, he's like a writer, like he's, he's written um, plays and things like that. My mother's side is the actress and singer. And like, also like oh. on her side of the family, like vaudeville, 
like with my one aunt and then my dad's mother was like played piano and stuff. So like, I, I just always wondered if that was like a genetic. Thing. I love that. Nope. I'm the only one. And that's, that to me is kind of weird too, because it's like, where the hell did I come from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like out of the blue, I just, there, there's something about poetry that I, that I absolutely love. And I just, I found my home in it. Cause like I, I can write anything, but what I want to focus on or outside of school assignments is, is poetry and, and just bettering the world with writing and constantly fighting through advocacy. It's just, it's, it's so essential. And a lot of people take that for granted, which kind of bothers me, but. Yeah. When you said the, where did you uh, come from thing? That made me think of when I did a, I, I did a, I only did like, that was like the only D and D campaign I did with like a, like a one, one friend, but uh, I, I made a character that was a dwarf that was uh, a bard. And he was like the only bard from, like a uh, singer from his village and the rest were warriors. So that, that just made me think of that. Oh my God. That is so cool. I like that you did that. Yeah. Cause I usually like, like the dwarf is like the warrior, like the Smith. And yeah, it was an interesting change to have a dwarf bard. It is because it adds another perspective. And it also shows that characters as humans are multi multi-dimensional. Just the importance of layers. People take layers for granted. I find I think yeah. that if you if you could really dig down and create something something unique, I love that you did that. That's totally brilliant. Yeah, that's because that's like it, that's like real life. Like uh, you know, in every community, there's you know there's diversity of like what people do, their interests, and there's yeah. individuals within that community. So. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you, and it's those individuals that are always that are always glossed over, which is kind of frustrating because those individuals to me make everything better because they're offering a fresh perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's good to like find that balance between like the individual, like, and also like community, like community, I think like they can kind of help with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I was explaining it. I was explaining it to my kids because sometimes they feel like they're the odd kid in the class. And I said, when you start elementary school, I use myself as the example. When I was in elementary school, I was the freak weirdo. And then I went to high school and there were more freak weirdos because there were a lot of schools that were funneling into the high school. So every single type of child was put in. And I said, there will be more of you. And then I said, after, once you start post-secondary education, you'll find that there is a whole tribe out there that you had no idea. And it's just... It's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to wait through something like that, because if you're, if you're the weird kid in the class and nobody wants to talk to you, it's, it's hard because nobody understands your perspective. But when you're outside of that, that cliquish environment and you're out in the real world, you know that there are people who are as weird or maybe even weirder than you are. Weirder in a good way, not in a psychotic killer axe murder stalking type of way but like good happy weird yeah and also like the the, the normal kids kind of just end up just hanging out with the same people having the same experiences the whole over life and and i feel over. like because i was a yeah because i was a bit of like the weird kid middle school high school and i feel like and i feel like out once i got out of that like i 
I'm even now like continuing to meet new people, have new experiences, e- even like with the podcast talking to like, Oh, I bet that must be incredible for you. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the, um, yeah, definitely. I feel like every guest I've talked to, like I've learned like something new, but, um, also like, it, I just feel like, and a lot of the people I knew in high school, like they're just kind of having the same experiences, like talking to the same people. And a lot of them were kind of, I know a lot of people Boring. that kind of got burned out at like 30 or like 25 and they're just like, that's it. I had my ears. Now I'm just going to be born. See, like, I don't know how you, okay. I'm trying to articulate what I want to say before I like verbal, fully verbal, verbalize it. Um, if you live your life a certain way and you go and look for adventure like you can find adventure anywhere. Just to say that you're going to be boring for the rest of your life to me is like, basically, why don't you just dig a hole, drop yourself in it, have someone cover it up and put a tombstone there and bye-bye. Like you can't stop living because you feel that you're, if your experiences are done, because there's always more experiences. Yeah. Every single layer of every single level offers an experience. And, and I was just thinking of the documentary of uh, Rita, Rita Moreno, the actress. Oh, I never life. saw it. Tell yeah, me, she me. was. It came out recently. She was in West Side Story. Was like the main thing, and she did like some other things. She was even on like the Muppets. I so, remember. Like, I now. saw her at ninety. Like she was like full of life and like, like talking all like having like having all this fun and stuff. Like and I don't know. It's just like you know, age is like your mindset. I think it it totally is. I hope I never stop. Like because yeah. if you're gonna be wacky, be wacky. Why would you? Why would anyone? pigeonhole themselves and say my 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 boring years are ahead of are ahead of me and I'm I'm done having adventures everything is an adventure getting on the bus and going somewhere is an adventure because you never know who you're going to see who you're going to meet how it's going to impact your life whether there's going to be an emergency whether people are going to be holding hands whether people are going to be arguing you never know and that's the beauty of of life like just just to stop you're basically committing mental suicide yeah. And that's interesting about the bus because it's like, it's not even just like the, yeah, if you're, if you're taking a trip somewhere, like you meet interesting people on the way there. And that could kind of be a metaphor for life, like the journey, not the destination. Exactly. And, and people, people don't get that because for me, I don't like not knowing what comes next. And I don't like surprises. I like giving surprises, but I don't like surprises being done on me at all. I lose my mind completely. But there's something about, offering yourself as an instrument to the universe and going through the day and seeing, because for me, I used to just go out and people would randomly talk to me about their life stories. Like I'd be at the library with my kids and someone who, who was upset or depressed would just, would just start talking and I'd be there for like a good half an hour. I'm, I'm constantly put in situations to bump into people to, to help. And I think that's a testament to Nick too, because he taught me, he taught me how to be open to those experiences and shutting yourself off from that type of experience to me is just, is living in a void of black, not even a single speck of light. And I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's has pro- to it's be... probably not good for your health either. Like probably your health, no. if you continue to have good experience, like mental and uh, just like probably physical health too. Like just always continuing to have good experiences and yeah like learning and learning new things too and yeah it's just it's just like one big circle 
or an infinity symbol, which I think is prettier than the circle because it crisscrosses. And I always say that it crisscrosses over dimensions and over time, yeah. as opposed to a circle, which is just going in the same space and running around chasing your tail. Yeah, the infinity, it never ends, but it's it's always going. But it's, yeah, there's a, there's a directive. And if you like, if you take a look at it and put it a certain way, you'll be able to north, south, east, and west. And that that whole continuous figure, when people take it for granted. They don't, they don't appreciate the, not only the inclusivity, but also being aware of the bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and have you used uh, like writing to deal with loss? Like you were talking about Nick, like your friend Nick. Or- oh yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, my first experience with death was when I was eight years old, when my best friend James died, he had a, 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 a congenital heart defect. So that was, that was my first experience with death. Um, as I, as I grew older and more people started dying because from the age of uh, eight years old to the age of 17, someone died every other year that I was close to. And that would, that would serve as an outlet to my poetry because I wasn't able to talk to them physically, but I was able to sort my, sort my thoughts and maybe write a letter to them that comes out in the form of a poem. Yeah. A lot of tears. Yeah. I remember we did something similar like that in the, the death class I took, uh, I took that as an elective with a, a professor, Norma Bow. She she does, teaches a class at Kane called Death and Perspective. This is about like accepting death as a part of life. And people, they had people like write like goodbye letters and stuff like that to people they lost or like letters or like, um, or just like someone they want to let go of if it was like a relationship that ended like writing like a goodbye. For you, the cathartic. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole thing with Cockroach Blueprint. It's, it's people... I don't know. I just, it's, it's so important to release that, that energy, especially when it's someone that was close to you to be able to have that connection and then just let it go. Cause I, I can still feel them around me sometimes, you know, when, when the goosebumps come and it's really cold at three o'clock in the morning, I'm writing at my desk. I can, I can feel the energies. So you believe you have, do you, you believe kind of, I guess, in like spirits afterlife, that kind of thing? I do. I do. I had a really, really, really creepy thing happen. Uh, my grandmother died 15 years ago and um, five, five years ago, I was sitting at my desk at three o'clock in the morning and um, my printer started making random noises. It was really weird. Like my printer does printer did not make noises at all. And I looked up and I said, Tata, and it made the random noise again. And everything in my body just went cold. It's just things like that have been happening to me, to me my whole life. I don't second guess it anymore. I just let it roll over me. Yeah. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, I saw like, um, like a, a, a woman that was like dressed in like this 18, century garb or something and she looked like someone on my mother's side of the family and then later on i saw a picture of uh because we, we hadn't seen the picture uh before of my great-grandmother dora and she looked kind of like that so oh yeah so it was kind of like a visit that might i think that was like some kind of visitation as a kid so i, I know we've uh we've talked about an hour now um 
I guess before we wrap up, did we, we? I don't know if we went into like what your current projects are, like CCIQ. And I wanted to dig. I, I just wanted to like uh, when, when you mentioned like the temple keepers. Were you saying like as one side of your family was Jewish and one was Palestinian? Yeah. That- when yeah, they well they 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 were they started off as Hebrew, and they they converted to Christianity. So there's the old ancient Hebrew line on my mother's side and the Christian Palestinian line on my dad's side before they, before the Hebrew side switched to Christianity. It's wow. It's, I always, I always get annoyed because I like, like my kids are mixed. I like, I like mixed um, mixing, mixing bloodlines because I, I find that there's beauty in the mixing and to just like, I find, I always say that, my story is boring because it's only the one culture and the people are like, yeah, but what a culture to have. And it's just like, well, yeah, I guess, but it's still just the one thing because it's, it's like the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Palestinians were so enmeshed with each other. Like when my, when my grandfather left Haifa, his tenants were telling him not to leave. Like they were one large giant community. And it just, it makes me it makes me really sad what's happening over there right now. I, but I guess it, it kind of helped you have like a more open perspective. And like it did. It did. Because I'm I'm honestly a lover of all cultures and I, I appreciate culture. There is not a single culture that hasn't done something bad. Everyone's done something bad. That's fine. It's going past the bad to the good to make sure that the world is better to be able to learn historically why people rose and fell and, and how, how it's essential for them, regardless of how many times they have fallen to keep rising up because that the humility and constantly rising up eventually will, will pro- propel a strength and an endurance. And that's how I feel. I feel, I feel empowered by both sides of, of who I am. And did you ever like run into one, like someone who was like either Arab or someone who was Jewish and like, they, like they kind of like, how did they, did they view like, Oh, you're not totally us or you're not, or how, what was your yeah, yeah. best story of my life? People I've, I've with culture, with, with me and my personality, because as a child, I was always outspoken and a lot of people didn't like that. And um, someone, someone said to me, they said, you shouldn't tell the employees at American Express that you're Palestinian because it could cause issues for you. I'm like, seriously? I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my culture. I don't understand why I should hide in a corner and skulk because that's exactly how cultural shame starts when people are put in little cubes saying, well, you should be embarrassed and ashamed for being who you are and what you are because of what your culture did historically. Historically is not now. Historically does not speak of every single individual's story and how they decide to go on with that story, absent of, of the love and light and the darkness that they felt. You know what I mean? People tend to pick one side or the other. I refuse to pick a side. I'm both sides. And someone told me that I can't sit on the fence and that I have to pick a side because then I would be kowtowing. It's like, that's not it. It's the fact that there are two sides to every story. And then there's the truth. The only way to get to the truth is to listen to both sides of the story. And a lot of people are not willing to put in that time and effort 
And for me, being able to acknowledge both sides has solidified how I feel about being Palestinian, half like Palestinian and Hebrew. It's I'm I'm proud of my culture, but there's a lot of devastation that genuinely bothers me on so many levels because I just I don't believe that there should be as much bloodshed on this earth that there has been because nobody needs to suffer to that extent. Yeah. And I I guess that unfortunately that makes it easier for like people like find it easier, I guess, to just put people in the groups and see it that way. Yeah. And that's like, that's not like someone asked me what type of clinician I was going to be. Um, and my favorite theory comes down to theory of, of intersectionality, which basically acknowledges that everybody, someone may come from the same background, may have the same experience, but they are not the same person. Putting people in clusters of groups will only take you so far before you have to take each individual out of that cluster and discuss with them what's going on. And people don't want to do that. They just want to cluster them and get rid of them. <laughs> That's no way to grow a world or a planet. People have to be acknowledged for their good and for their evil. Because no one is born inherently good and no one is born inherently bad. There's a, there's a, a game of like tug of war that goes throughout the, the duration of your life. It's just a matter of deciding what side you want to land on. Yeah. And I'll also tying this into what we were saying earlier about people who, oh, they want to stop having experiences like, oh, I'm 30. I want to stop having experiences. I know it's a lot of those people kind of thinking kind of narrow ways about like different groups and the way the world is because they're not open to learning something new or seeing something from a different perspective. They no, just- they're not. And they and they steep themselves in the bitterness and the anger and the resentment and the self-hate and the self-loathing when it could be replaced with love and light. And yes, the world is not comprised only of love and light, but you require the love for the bad and the good for the bad and love and the hate. Because if you hate someone, what what do they say? The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. If you feel feel so strongly and passionately about someone on the love-hate spectrum, the emotion is still there. The only thing that could prevent that emotion is being numb to it. Exactly, yeah. And I guess even just trying to empathize like with like, because like to me, if somebody's if somebody's um, bigoted, like that's just such like an unhappy per- and they're also missing on somebody so much, so much, too. so much life, so much. OK, if I may, so much art, culture, food, literature, travel destinations. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. There's so much. Look at how big the world is. Why not go and try and experience more of it? instead of cutting yourself off that cutting yourself off. I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I never have. <laughs> yeah. So I guess before we wrap up any thing else you want to say about CCIQ press or maybe any projects you're working on or working on in the future. Um, I have a few that I'm working on. Um, uh, okay. Let's talk about broken candy and Broken Candies. Uh, Broken Candies Anthology is an anthology that I'm organizing uh, for the Durham Rape Crisis Center. All the proceeds will go towards their organization. Um, The submissions closed on December 1st. We're collecting art and poetry submissions. 
Um, so that's a cause that I feel very passionate about. I just released a, um, a small chat book with uh, two key customs called uh, BIPOC Explored Lost Oubliette. And it discusses uh, current BIPOC uh, issues that are occurring. Uh, a big, big component of that is how I feel about the First Nations and how the First Nations are, ex are experiencing so much trauma. Um, and um, that one, uh, all the information for it is on, is on the, the press. That one's being sold for $40 Canadian and all the proceeds go to an organization that advocates for language because when, when the, the First Nations were basically kidnapped, for lack of a better word, and placed in residential schools, a lot of their language was lost because they, weren't, they were not allowed to speak their language. Their hair had to be cut. They were not allowed to wear their traditional clothes. So they were trying to basically take anything First Nations about them and take it out and distill it so that their culture was lost. Um, it's just, it's something that I'm, I'm so passionate about that I, I needed to put it in, into a book and to donate all the proceeds from the book because it's, it's so vital. These people, <laughs> these people were here for 15,000 years before, before anyone. We are living on their land. Like it's, that's why I have a land acknowledgement on my blog. It's just, it's so important to acknowledge. Um, okay. Um, other things that I'm working on, um, Verity, which should be out uh, spring, fall, maybe 2022. And it's a complete dialogue-based poetry book where different conversations occur, like apples and oranges, me at 23 with me at 43, suicide, talking to tenacity. It's just all dialogue-based. Um, Kindreds, which hasn't even been written yet, will be a small chat book. And it's in partnership with me and an artist um, from Slovenia named Taya. She's a mathematical artist. Her work is just wow. What she does with little fractals is just completely ridiculous. And um, the, uh, the proceeds from that will go to um, my friend uh, Spiros Molaris. He has a, an organization in the UK called Bags of Love where they create these bags and go and disperse them to homeless, homeless people all over London. And then the last book that I'm working on, which is my newest project is called uh, quest for no soul, which basically came out of a dialogue in my introduction to psych class this last September. I, someone asked if um, Freud's philosophies would be used in our contemporary world and how they would be adapted. And I thought that that was a really cool, really cool subject to explore. Broken Candy um, is a book that I wrote and um, all the proceeds for that are going to be divided between DRCC and a, an organization in the UK called Advance. Um, both these organizations help um, advocate for women and sustainability within their lives after leaving an abusive situation which was important for me to write because um, within lockdown, there were so many people who were, who were trapped within their abusers and they literally had, had no way out. And it was very important for me to 
focus on something that would help organizations who are helping empower these women. And scene. Yeah. Yeah, that just made me think, yeah, because, um, yeah, it just made, it just made me think, because, like, yeah, like, the, I was just thinking, like, how worse, like, like, lockdown, like, how bad lockdown was for some people. And I, it just made me think, like, you know, that, like, I don't know, it, it's just good to be grateful for what, what you have sometimes, because you never, like, there's always someone who has. You never know. It's worse, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, there's always going to be someone who's struggling more than you. And there's always going to be someone who's struggling less than you. The only thing you can really do is be the best you that you can be, you know? Yeah, exactly. Sounds cheesy, but, but it's true. It's just like, you can't conform to anyone's ideals of who you are or who you think you should be. You have the opportunity to be who you are and you go in with both feet and just be who you are. Yeah, because there's only there's only one you, and you can't compare yourself because nobody's nope. had your exact yeah exactly experience. yeah. Well, uh, any final thoughts? So I I guess we pretty much. Um, yeah, I kind of <laughs> I kind of dumped all of those on you. I wanted to thank you for asking me to be on your podcast. This is the very first time I've done a podcast interview. I was a little nervous. To, it was better than I thought it was going to be. So thank you. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew that I knew this would be a good uh conversation because I know we had like some chats about like different random things mm-hmm. uh, through Messenger before this. And that's usually the best ones I have where we can kind of, you know, go into Star Wars, go into writing, go into mental health. And that's oh, that's yeah, like just... that's like this that's like the kind of BS episodes I like to have. Thank you for listening to BSing with Sean Kay. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ronnie Watts. It was um definitely an insightful conversation. Be sure to keep up with her work on uh, CCIQ Press on Instagram. And if you want to keep updated with future episodes of BSing with Sean K, I'm on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. You can watch the videos. And also give me a like on uh, Facebook and a follow on uh, Instagram. S-K-N-E-E-S-E-1989 is my Instagram. All right. That's about it for this episode. I'll catch you on the next.